across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. Get a free video of rapport building and touching during the listing presentation. Yes, the right way to touch and the wrong way to touch. Discover how eight top agents from around the world get sellers to instantly like them while eliminating the competition. Go to hybendigital.com backslash rebus. That's hybendigital.com backslash rebus. R-E-B-U-S. Okay, Rockstar Nation. Hope everybody had a great weekend, great Memorial Day weekend. Today is Memorial Day. Please take time to remember those who have proudly served and protected our freedoms and allowed us to do one of the greatest jobs in the world, which is work for ourselves, selling real estate and making money in real estate in many different ways. And we would not be able to do that if we were not a free country. So please remember that today and think about that and honor those who have protected said freedom. Okay, we got an all-female review this week. Yes, all-female review this week. What a great week. Uh, Today we got Nicole. I got Elaine Northrup on tap. You guys have had Elaine before, and uh, she's coming back on to share some incredible new thoughts about, you know, her manifesting, essentially, a 40-year real estate team with over 100 people in it, and how she literally not only birth said team but um has created and is the matriarch of of this uh, organization um that she's so proud of and she kind of uh, tells us how it all began with just a, a thought and uh, that so many people don't realize that everything begins with a thought and that thoughts are things and that it was as simple as that and then we got kathy smith kathy schmidt um now kathy she's cute she talks about teamerage she has a teamerage Yes, a teamerage, which is basically real estate brokerage that's just a team. And uh, I never heard it called that before, but uh, it kind of makes sense, right? It's a teamerage. It's a brokerage and a team. And uh, we go deep into that and uh, many other things. So it was some excellent interviews this week, guys, all on tap, all female review. It's going to be good. I got a new review here. This is Jason. Somebody, uh, that's their name. This is Jason. Five stars. Pat. Oh, it's called Taking My Growth Plan to Another Level. Pat, thank you so much for these valuable podcasts and subscribing and listening. My real estate business has grown and we are implementing the top tidbits and strategies shared. These podcasts will continue to serve as a cornerstone of learning to the growth plan of my real estate team. Hmm. Well, good. That's cool to hear, Jason, that you are listening. 
you know, you guys are listening as a team, that you're sharing the information you learn on here as a team. I mean, at the end of the day, there isn't a single podcast of these 300 we've done that that basically you couldn't listen to with your team and and get seven or ten nuggets out of them, seven or ten pearls that that are usable. That's the thing. You know what I mean? That's not not a single one goes by without. Uh, damn, that's good. Let me write that down. You know, so. I appreciate you guys doing that. I think it's smart. I mean, I think it's it's a it's a great way to start uh, growing and understanding. So, anyways, gonna be a good week this week, guys. Have a great week. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Okay, Rockstar Nation, we have a guest from Carmel, California, and it's near Big Sur. You know, it's funny because I was just looking at marathons, and I saw there was a Big Sur marathon. But anyways, from Carmel, California, and uh, Nicole Truskowski is on the line, and uh, she is knocking it dead out there and has been for some time and has some really interesting and effective tools and techniques to share today so without further ado Nicole welcome thank you it's great being on the show thank you so much for the opportunity you're welcome what why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself Nicole so they can get to know you better sure um, I um, originally am from Canada uh, from uh, Alberta Edmonton the city of Edmonton and I grew up there went to university there actually specialized in um, sports medicine and eventually transitioned into the real estate industry about uh, 20 years ago and um, what I used to do was work for an international company that managed luxury clubs, private clubs all across the world and that's how I got really involved in um, development through we developed golf and country clubs and residential development surrounding that and that's how I transitioned into real estate. Eventually, um, I decided just to go uh, 100% full-time, and I actually started my own company back about 20 years ago called Professional Realty. And then what happened is the wonderful recession hit, and where I was working, which was in the epicenter of the um, <laughs> recession, which was in the Central Valley, Sacramento, Stockton, Lodi, Modesto, those areas where the market got hit the hardest, I decided to take a downturn market and transition into a brand new community that focused on luxury real estate sales because that's what my specialty and that's what my niche was. So I started building a business down in the Carmel Pebble Beach area. And so I did that transition solely where I actually still own my company, Professional Realty, and I have a broker and a couple agents that run that, but went and joined forces with another global company called Sotheby's and work as a broker associate and over the last six years have built a really strong brand down here on the peninsula and have been loving every minute of it. Well, that's great that they let you do that, that they let you keep the one you know, boutique company in one area and, and team up with them in another area. Yeah, I think that when you're a broker, I mean, that you have that unique ability to do that, whereas if you're just an agent, you can't. The commitment was that I had to be pretty much 100% focused here 
on the peninsula. And um, so what I do is just pretty much refer all my business down to my two agents. And then my really high-end clients, kind of million and above, um, I still kind of run the meats and bones of the transaction, but my staff on the ground does all the work. That's that's great. That's great. So let's get into some nitty-gritty. So, um, so how many houses did you sell last year? Yeah, I did about 25, but my gross average sales is about 1.7. Uh, million, so I think I did around forty-two, somewhere around forty-two million last year. Okay, super. And what was your gross commission on that? You mean right once I subtract paying taxes? Yeah, before. Yeah, no, not to, before Sotheby's, before all oh, your expenses, oh. before everything. Like oh yeah, probably just shy of a million. You know, nine hundred and eighty somewhere around. Yeah. There. Okay, great. And then what's your profit margin? About forty percent. That's great. After I pay taxes and my staff and referral fees and all that good stuff. Okay. All right. Super. And so where is all your business coming from, Nicole? Well, it's really interesting because I actually really track that. It's really interesting. And last year, 80% of my business came from my sphere of influence, which are my leads through existing clients from past client referrals and my sphere of agents that I network with was 80% of 80%, my business. 80%. Wow. Yep. And and is it mainly listings or buyers? It's really um I probably do about close to about 60-70% listings mm. and 30 to 40%, yeah, you know, 35% um buyers. I like that. I like that split. So, okay, so your traditional sphere of influence, we get that, right? You've been there 20 years, you have past clients, you have people that you know that you're involved with. That is, uh, you know, a lot of people do that, but uh, the thing that I think sets you apart is your network that you had mentioned to me before we started the call. Why don't you tell everybody about that? Yeah, what I did with another top agent who is in the Silicon Valley area is we founded, we call it a network within a network, and we both work within Sotheby's, which is a huge international brand like a lot of companies that have operations all over the world. But what we do is we hand select the top agents that represent our feeder market. So we determine very specifically where our buyers are coming from. And then we targeted those feeder markets to handpick top agents to be invited into our network. It's called the Exceptional Agent Network. And we only allow one agent from each feeder market to be representative. And then we do um, an annual meeting with our network and we have private social media platforms that we work with and we create marketing pieces that we can leverage as agents that are you know selling you know say like my nine million dollar listing in Pebble Beach you know I do exclusive marketing within my network to help bring in buyers so that network in itself has been incredibly effective in bringing in referrals for buyers and listings and also leveraging the power of our um, high-end, you know, how do I say, leveraging the power of the agents that are within that network that make a buyer or a seller say when we go to a listing presentation, incredibly impressed, um, you know, in some of the unique things that we're doing. Yeah, I, I've always been amazed at how powerful a referral 
from another agent is. I think it's it's more powerful than um, a sphere of influence referral because, you know, they figure they went to to the the free referring agent first because they know that they're in the business and they probably can streamline to the best agent in that market and so that's what's happening here is is you know you're getting referrals from other agents now are all these other agents in california or they spread out across us all over the world our network we you know right now we focused our our key focus when we first started our network was like you know feeder markets like my feeder market for example big chunk of my feeder market is the silicon valley for example thirty percent of my buyers come from there um, 25% come from Texas. Um, really? Central Valley is another area. So then I've tried to bring on people from those networks. But then I have, you know, people from Europe that, you know, come and buy in this area and people from Canada as well. So we've incorporated agents from all of those feeder markets. We probably right now in our network, I, I'll have to check the latest numbers. And the goal is not to make this network super huge, but a much more uh, productive sharing network. So I think we have about... 55 people in our network right now we're doing our first meeting in may in las vegas um but that just kind of gives you an example of where the and, and so what criteria do you use well you know we like them to be um we don't they don't always have to be like the top producing agent in their area because that doesn't always mean you're the best yeah, agent. right yeah sometimes sometimes you know from i send a ton of referrals and and i know that for a fact that Sometimes picking the biggest team uh, is not the best thing to do is if you want to get paid a referral fee. Yeah, exactly. So we, we pick agents that are open to sharing. Um, number one, that's very important and being involved. Like if you're going to be in our network, you have to obviously come to our meeting. You have to be involved. You have to be sharing, communicating on the social networks. You have to have something that we think is kind of innovative and creative. Do you have a great website platform? Do you have a unique blog structure style that you do? Um, did you come from a past industry that um, will bring some information to the group that's really helpful? So those are kind of the tools that we um, or the skill set that we look for and the agents and both Don and I, who's my partner, Don Thomas, when it comes to this network, we will interview each of the people. And then if other people in the network are suggesting that they're um, someone that you know would fit in well then we will also you know go based on feedback from other agents in the network and and they're qualified number one because they, they're they all Sotheby's agents right. right that's yeah we have a lot of agents that will try to reach out they've heard about the network and they want to be in it but we made it exclusive to Sotheby's um, our Sotheby's network um, yeah Okay, so they're all Sotheby's agents, and they're all agents that specialize in, you know, high-end listings or high-end. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I try to focus generally, you know, $2 million and up. I mean, that's not to say that I don't do sales below that, but typically that, you know, that's my target on my sales and buyers and sellers, yeah. Now, was it always, was your average sale price always $1.7 million? No. When I was down in the Central Valley, obviously my um, – um, average sales price probably averaged around 700 which for the valley was high but obviously moving into the Pebble Beach Carmel Carmel Valley market it's definitely moved that up I mean you know I've got a nine million dollar listing if I double in that that's you know 18 million dollar sale you know so it just depends yeah um, and was that strategic or was that just a byproduct that you wanted to move to that area anyways 
Well, it was strategic. I mean, I love the area and I've always been in love with it. But yeah, there's a greater opportunity because there's just a much higher quality of luxury homes. There's just, you know, a greater number of luxury homes here. So, okay, so you kind of did that twice then, you know, you you went from Canada, California, and then you went from from one area to uh, a much higher end area, consciously, Mm -hmm. which is great. Um, So what did you do to start getting business in this new area? Yeah, obviously, um, I think for a lot of agents in their career, the biggest fear factor is all of a sudden if you're moving to another city. So that's, you know, wow, what do you do? I mean, I was like the number one luxury agent in my area, and then boom, I moved out of it. Um, So for me, I didn't try to compete with all the luxury agents, and I kind of evaluated what they were doing and how they were generating, you know, their business in terms of what I thought they were doing. And I tried to create something or go at a different angle. So for me, there was no way I could post ads in the paper and say, oh, I'm a rock star agent from, you know, the Central Valley because nobody would care. So I tried to create a platform through social media and through being – through my website, which I call it um, Hyperlocal Expert. And so I blogged on 140 different individual communities within the Monterey Peninsula. I wrote blog posts on it. I did all the marketing stats and really became a hyperlocal market expert. And so when people logged in, my goal, because I live in a second home market, was to attract the Internet buyer. As we know, what... I don't know what the stats are now. 80% of people go online first before they even reach out to an Practically agent. Practically everybody, yeah. Yeah, so my goal was to like look like this bigger-than-life person on the Internet that was an incredible resource. And I spent two years developing and writing personally all of that information on that website, which was a ton of work. So you just took, for instance, Big Sur, and you kind of like a, a, a school project you just started with a history and wrote to today as the what Big Sur is about. And then anytime anybody types in Big Sur, California, mm-hmm. you're going to come up with the algorithms and, and things like that. Or, or if they type in schools or whatever it is they're looking for, if you mention those in your blog, mm-hmm. you're going to come up. And they're going to like, oh, okay, here's somebody giving some free advice. Oh, she happens to be a realtor. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, I targeted it really around real estate. So I picked like kind of the seven key communities, which was like Carmel, Carmel Valley, Monterey, PG. And so then I would write the story about Carmel and then I would blog about the history of the housing market there. I do monthly statistical reports and then I would blog and write about and then I created actually all the categories of the individual little neighborhoods within a neighborhood and wrote neighborhood descriptions, what the average house price was and then talked about local events, blog about local events. Um, so, yeah, that's what I did. Nice, nice. So what's the most expensive house you've ever, ever sold? Uh, the most expensive sale that I did was like double-ended a $9 million. Um, so I did an $18 million. Very nice. Very nice. How long did that take? To facilitate yeah. that took five years working with a client. It was five years? And was that five years with the buyer, five years on the market? So you're working with this buyer for five years. You get this listing. You're like, I... Actually, sorry, that was... Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, sorry. There was one that I... One that was five years, and then there was one that was a listing, yeah. So how do you work with someone for five years 
without <laughs> firing them <laughs> or without you know them being mad that you don't call them back anymore or i mean how do you maintain a relationship for five years you have to have a, a lot of patience and and belief i mean that's amazing well, because I work in a second home market, which it's a more an emotional buy than a need, right? Um, a lot of the people come here, like, for example, the Food and Wine Festival starting tonight. And people come in, and they might be visiting from Europe, and they fall in love with the area. And they think, oh, I really want to buy a home here. And so I'll take a mountain show property during the Food and Wine Festival. And they tell me they're not coming back till next year, but they really like seeing the homes, keep them posted, send them information. And then they come back the following Food and Wine Festival, and they go, okay, let's go look at some homes. And they like a home, but they're just not 100% ready to buy. And, you know, that's kind of what happens. Um, or they, you know. This is a perfect example of the one client that ended up buying, you know, a really high-end property. And during the time when I was working, it was was the recession was on, so he felt like the prices were going to go down, mm. and so he didn't want to pull the trigger. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not uncommon here with my um, back office management system that I have in place that you know I'll work with a client, you know, three to five years before they pull the trigger. Wow. Wow, well, you earn your commission then. Yeah. That, that, that's incredible, <laughs> for sure. And how? Uh, so how do you keep in touch with them? What specifically are you doing? Yeah, so I create, you know, I have a back office management system, and I create what do you use? Uh, a profile on, you know, every client that I work with, and I document every communication that I have with them. And then I do have, I, I, I have certain systems to stay in contact based on the type of client they are, if they're going to buy right away or they're going to buy five years down the road. And then I just have, you know, a system that my assistant and I work together to stay in communication uh, with those clients. That's neat. And, uh, and I'm assuming if you're continuing to blog, you, they, they can be reading your blogs and it's kind of like them, you know, talking to you. Yeah, Absolutely. That's great. Okay, so let's talk about technology. What technology are you using today, whether it's a phone app or, or software, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, pretty much any tech technology app that's out there for real estate, obviously, you know, I use it from DocuSign to, you know, um, the storage, you know, all of the um, clouds, cloud storages. To, you know, lately the biggest thing that has been really successful, a lot of my clients are international clients and they travel all over the world. So the, you know, the WhatsApp's been really effective and WeChat because it's a great way to communicate when you're in different time zones in different countries and there's no charge, you know, for the cellular charges. So that's been really great. Yeah, um, they love that, don't they? All the foreigners that I meet, they, you know, they, they love the WhatsApp. And and I've had some a a Asian uh, people recently get me on the WeChat, and so right. And and so, what's the what do you find? Do you find much difference between GroupMe and WeChat and WhatsApp, or or to you, are they all pretty much the same thing? Just uh, another way to to text through Wi-Fi or text through the internet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like young kids like Snapchat, right? Yeah. That's the big young kids thing. And with like my older clients, it seems like WeChat or what apps <laughs> seems to be the most effective. Yeah, but it's, it's all kind of similar. Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of been, from a client perspective of work, you know, what's been working really well. I mean, I think nowadays to ask me that question, it's like it, everything is so tech-based. I mean, 
I, I literally, I mean, my, you know, I have the big i6 phone and I can be anywhere in the world and conduct business right on that phone. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true and they prefer it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm finding that, um, you know, I think between my real estate team and this podcast and things, we have four virtual assistants now. And, you know, some of them, they, they love Skype. You know what I mean? They're all about the Skype. Um, you almost have to wean them off of it. It's amazing. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. It's just in a different format. And and I guess you got to give the people what they want, right? So if they want WeChat, you just move that app to the front of your phone just so you can see it if they send you a text on WeChat. Yeah, exactly. And I think you hit the key right there is the adaptability, you know, the adapting to what your client needs are, whether you're working with a millennial or you're working with a baby boomer. I mean, they kind of all have their format of tech and communication that works for them. And that's the number one question you ask them up front. How do you like to communicate? And, um, you know, and then based on what they say, you know, those are the systems that you use. Yeah. And it's it, there's so much more immediate it seems than email some of them don't even want to check email i don't know you know they just don't like it it's interesting true true. (laughs) i mean i mean it's it's it is it's it's crazy that's why you have to find out i mean and that's where you blow it as a rookie agent is not finding out what's the preferred method of communication and you try to communicate via email and they they never open their email <laughs> so, um, okay, so you've been doing this 20 years. You've seen a ton of houses. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in a house? Well, I uh, the weirdest thing more is, is it being haunted <laughs> and being in the living room doing an open house and the chandelier that had been installed by an electrician. There was no problem with the chandelier, smashed down the dining room table. So that was kind of freaky. Wow. Did you run out or did you? <laughs> and did you know it was haunted ahead of time? Yeah, yeah. There was rumors that the house was haunted, but the owners told me that it was. And um, the owners told yeah. you it was haunted, flat out. They said this yeah. house was haunted. Yeah, it had to be disclosed. I mean, it literally. What it had to be. Di- Why did that have to be disclosed? Was there a murder in it? No, but you know, I mean, as an agent, you know, over disclosure is better than under disclosure, and the fact that you know several people knew that the house would haunt it and there had been several things that had occurred in the home. I mean, it had to be, you know, disclosed. You mean beyond what could be subjective, like beyond what could be, eh, it, you know, maybe the electrician didn't screw it tight enough. I mm. mean, yeah. No, I mean, it, it was just a, if you ask me what the freakiest thing, that was the freakiest thing. Wow. And so <laughs> the buyer bought it with the disclosure that, but, the house was haunted, but they were fascinated with ghosts, so they didn't care. <laughs> really? So they wanted to meet the ghosts. They were like, cool. Well, you found yeah. the perfect buyer. <laughs> Instant friends, right? Yeah, Family. <laughs> wow, that that's amazing. That's amazing. All right, so tell me about specifically, like, how you went from rookie to rock star, how you went from someone who... You know, first of all, it's kind of interesting how you didn't even go to a brokerage to begin with, right? You just got your license and opened up your own company? Yep. And what gave you the confidence to be like, oh, I don't need a broker. I'm going to just do that. Well, I think the key was that I came out of working out of 
kind of the luxury private club business. So I was used to working with a very sophisticated high-end client. And, you know, we did, you know, we did a lot of marketing and promotion and a lot of, how, how do I say, like, we, we learned what that niche of client liked and, and how to work with them. So I felt like I could transfer that into real estate pretty easy. And when I decided to go into the business, I mean, my focus was I lived in a high-end neighborhood and was to become the expert within that neighborhood, which is pretty rare to walk into the business and start selling in the number one high-end neighborhood. But I set a, a really specific path that that's what I wanted to do. And so one of the things that I did being a boutique brokerage was leverage my connections with other agencies through, um, like I became a leader in luxury. Lori Moore has its, its Leaders in Luxury Network, which is top agents across you know the world and the United States that are the top luxury agents. So I joined that organization and I got certified through them and then you had to achieve certain sales totals to become, you know, um, to, to get the next level, which is called guild membership and that. So I focused on doing that and that was a very powerful network that I um, became a part of. I also really focused on meeting other top high-end luxury agents and learning from them and just finding out what they were doing and then trying to incorporate that into my marketplace. But when the recession hit and, you know, short sales and foreclosures and all that crap was going on, unfortunately, I actually refused that work. I didn't do that work. I continued to be a luxury agent and focus solely on that, which was challenging because at the time I had probably all any all of the top listings that agent any agent would dream about having. And, of course, we're a full-blown recession. Um, but and I couldn't stayed. sell any? Well, you know, it just took a lot longer. Yeah. Well, that's the first thing to take a to take a a pause, you know, in any sort of recession or hiccup is the luxury. Right. Absolutely. So I had to become creative and innovative, but yeah, it did. I mean, instead of taking, you know, 6 months to a year, it might take 3 years to sell some of the really high-end listings, but that's what I focused and, and stayed true to. Yeah, and that's the key, right? focusing and staying true and and hanging in there because at some point it pops back and then all of a sudden your commissions start coming in right and then you know like I didn't want to be a short sale queen or I didn't want to be a foreclosure expert and I know you know a lot of the people give you the feedback you got to be flexible you got to be adaptable you got to do all those kinds of things but um, it was pretty hard for some of those agents that all they did was REOs to all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to go back to selling high-end luxury real estate because they weren't known as that, you know, in their city, right? Yeah, yeah. So how do luxury agents get in front of each other or is it just um, like any other network group? They just say, hi, here I am. Uh, um or, or what, what you know? What are they doing? What are you doing within your group to to stand out or to get the juices flowing? If anyone listening wants to create a luxury group in their company or in whatever, in a luxury group, what what advice do you have? 
Well, my first advice is to do, uh, jo join a tried and true organization already that has a huge network of luxury agents, like the Leaders in Luxury that you know Lori Moore was the founder of. It's been taken over by another company now, but it's it's the Certified Luxury Home Marketing Network. I, they join something like that, and they you know network among those agents and make connections, and kind of get a feel for what those types of agents typically are attracted to, and you know how they operate and how they do business. Then, you know, if you're in your own organization within a company, take a look at that organization and look at the agents that tend to be the top agents and what are they doing and what is trending with them and how can you start to make connections with those kinds of agents. Um, you know, that, that would be my basic advice, um, number one. And then number three is within your community, there tends to be a, a network of people that tend to, you know, whether they live in a community, it might be a gated community or there are certain uh, golf and country clubs or organizations that tend to attract, you know, the upper scale type, you know, whatever you want to say, understanding and, and becoming involved in those networks is very helpful. Yeah, it seems like if you were to give advice to somebody who, say, wants to come up, let's say wants to significantly increase their average sale price, and you had to pick one word, that word, uh, uh, let me just ask you, what would that one word be as far as how they can get more business in the luxury market? The one word to get more business in that luxury market, um, service. Service. Yeah, I was going to say network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause, cause network Yeah, because that's yeah. essentially what you've done is you just get yeah, true. in other groups and network, 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 and don't um, – don't sell short uh, other agent referrals. Like, you know, like how many out of the 25 houses you sold, how many do you think came from other agent referrals? Last year, 10. 10, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, and that, that was 10 agents that got a nice referral fee, too. Huge. Some of them, yeah. Now, mm -hmm. do, do you send out that many? Do you, is there reciprocity? I live in a second home market, so I tend to get more referrals coming in just because of the nature of where I live. Oh, I got it. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of me sending out, probably I sent out last year maybe five. So it's okay. less because I just don't have as yeah. many clients moving out. Yeah. So why do, why do you have 25% of your markets coming from Texas? I find that interesting. What What's going on there? Um, our area, Carmel and Pebble Beach, is just a huge, because the climate in Texas is so hot, and here on the peninsula, our average temperature is 65 degrees, and so they're very drawn to the climate, and of course, it's very conducive to a lot of activities and events, like the Concourse d'Elegance, which is a big car show, one of the top in the United States, you know, they're really attracted to that. Um, you know, the Food and Wine Festival going on this weekend is a huge event that attracts a lot of wine people, a lot of food connoisseurs. Um, but, yeah, it's just a big percentage of Texans coming out. And then, of course, the Silicon Valley is huge because the commute here from, you know, the Bay Area on average is, you know, less than two hours for most people. So it's a big sec second home market for them. Um, but those are examples of some of our feeder markets. Great, great. Well, uh, Nicole, let's wrap this up with our flagship question, and that is this. If we put you and nine other luxury agents, let's be specific about this, on an island full of rich people, 
and there was a lot of commerce going on and a lot of luxury homes being sold back and forth. And all you had, and you know, normally we give $500. I'm going to say I give you $5,000 each. I'm going to give you a laptop and a cell phone. And the agent that sells the least amount of homes each month gets thrown off the island. How is Nicole going to sell more houses than the other nine agents and win the game? Yeah, so what I would do is I would really leverage my sphere of influence and my, you know, all of my networking groups that I have. And I would create um, a contest. Now, non, this obviously doesn't apply to the agent referrals, but anyone who's a non-agent from every social media that I have, it would be the same contest, and it would run across LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and it would be for every valid referral that you give me for a buyer or seller, you get entered into a draw to win a free side of representation, whether you buy a home or you sell a home. So that for some of my clients, that could be huge because some of my clients have $10 million houses. <laughs> um, so I'd run a big campaign, um, you know, across those social media platforms, which doesn't cost anything. Mm. And then with the $5,000 that you gave me in terms of money for all of my um, agents, I would create a separate um, uh, contest, you know, for them for um you know a $5000 um you know gift for every referral that they sent me and then I would guarantee them uh, 100% of any referrals going into their markets for their referral so if they send me a referral I'd say any time you know that I got a referral down into their market I guarantee that it would go directly to them for life so yeah that's what I would do. I, I like that cuz it's a strategy. It's a it's a you know you thought it through and and here's the strategy, and this is what we're going to do. And, yeah, that's good. I like that idea. I like that idea. Well, listen, Nicole, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day. I wish you the best. If I do decide to come down and do the Big Sur Marathon, I will definitely look you up, and uh, we can break some bread. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'd love to meet you, Pat. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this session of Real Estate Rockstars. I'm Pat Hyben, and I appreciate you spending time tuning in for some rock-solid advice. I encourage you to take action on something that you have connected with. These insights, along with goal setting, will help carry you to achieving your destiny. Visit hybendigital.com for resources, how-tos, ebooks, and so much more. Also, reach out to us on Twitter. My handle is at Pat Hyben. And don't forget, Rockstar Nation, keep rocking. And now a word from our sponsor, Rebus University. Get a free video of rapport building and touching during the listing presentation. Yes, the right way to touch and the wrong way to touch. Discover how eight top agents from around the world get sellers to instantly like them while eliminating the competition. Go to hybendigital.com backslash Rebus. That's hybendigital.com backslash Rebus. R-E-B-U-S. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.